Salutations. I am Kenneth Barrios, leadership coach and owner of Key Bravo Leadership Development with the mission of unleashing your talents and maximizing your impact without compromising your time. Welcome to our 16th Law Success series, where I read out loud about 20 to 30 minutes of this great tone for your audio pleasure. This book is the foundation of which all other personal and professional development is based, written by Napoleon Hill in 1928. I am now using this as public domain book as my foundation to success, and I want to bring you along for the journey. So please enjoy, and your feedback is always welcome. With gratitude, thank you. There are myriads of forms of fear, but none are more deadly than the fear of poverty and old age. We drive our bodies as if they were slaves because we are so afraid of poverty that we wish to hoard money for what? Old age? This common form of fear drives us so hard that we overwork our bodies and bring on the very thing we are struggling to avoid. What a tragedy to watch a man drive himself when he begins to arrive along about the 40-year mile post at life, that age at which he is just beginning to mature mentally. At 40, a man is just entering the age in which he is able to see and understand and assimilate the handwriting of nature. As it appears in the forest and flowing brooks and faces of men and little children, yet the double fear drives him so hard that he becomes blinded and lost in the entanglement of a maze of conflicting desires. The principle of organized effort is a lost sight of, and instead of laying hold of nature's forces which are in the evidence around him and permitting those forces to carry to the heights of great achievement, he defies them and they become forces of destruction. Perhaps none of these great forces of nature are more available for man's unfoldment than is the principle of auto-suggestion. But ignorance of this force is leading the majority of the human race to apply it so that it acts as a hindrance and not as a help. Let us here enumerate the facts which show just how this misapplication of a great force of nature takes place. Here is a man who meets with some disappointment. A friend proves false, or a neighbor seems indifferent. Forthwith, he decides, through self-suggestion, all men are untrustworthy and all neighbors unappreciative. These thoughts so deeply embed themselves in the subconscious mind that they color the whole attitude towards others. Go back now to what was said in Lesson 2 about the dominating thoughts of a man's mind attracting people whose thoughts are similar. Apply the law of attraction, and you will soon see and understand why the unbeliever attracts other unbelievers. Reverse the principle. Here is a man who sees nothing but the best there is in all whom he meets. If his neighbors seem indifferent, he takes no notice of that fact, for he makes it his business to fill his mind with the dom dominating thoughts of optimism and good cheer and faith in others. If people speak to him harshly, he speaks back in tones of softness, through the operation of this same internal law of attraction, he draws to himself the attention of the people whose attitude towards life and whose dominating thoughts harmonize with his own. Tracing the principle a step further, here is a man who has been well-schooled and has the ability to render the world some needed service. Somewhere, sometime, he has heard it said that modesty is a great virtue and that to push himself to the front of the stage in the game of life savors of egotism. He quietly sips in the back door, takes a seat at the rear while other players in the game of life boldly step to the front. He remains in the back row because he fears what they will say. 
public opinion, or which he believes to be a public opinion, has him pushed to the rear, and the world hears but little of him. He's, his schooling counts for not because he is afraid to let the world know that he has had it. He is constantly suggesting to himself, thus the great force of autosuggestion, to his own detriment, that he should remain in the background, lest he be criticized, as if criticism would do him any damage or defeat his purpose. Here is another man who was born of poor parents. Since the first day that he can remember, he has seen evidence of poverty. He has heard talk of poverty. He had felt the icy hand of poverty on his shoulders. And it has so impressed him that he fixes it in his mind as a curse to which he must submit. Quite unconsciously, he permits himself to fall victim of all the belief, quote, once poor, always poor, quote, until the belief becomes the dominating thought of his mind. He resembles a horse that has been harnessed and broken until it forgets that it has the potential power with which to throw off that harness. Artist's auto-suggestion is rapidly relegating him to the back of the stage of life. Finally, he becomes a quitter. Ambition is gone, opportunity comes his way no longer, or if he does, he has the fate vision to see it. He has accepted his fate. It is well-established fact that the faculties of the mind, like the limbs of the body, atrophy and wither away if not used. Self-confidence is not exception. It develops when used, but disappears if unused. One of the chief disadvantages of inherited wealth is the fact that it too often leads to inaction and loss of self-confidence. Some years ago, a baby boy was born to Miss E.B. McLean in the city of Washington. His inheritance was said to be around $100 million. When this baby was taken for an airing in its carriage, it was surrounded by nurses and assistant nurses and detectives and other servants whose duty was to see that no harm befell it. As the years passed by the same vigilant was kept up, this child did not have to dress himself. He had servants who did that. Servants watched over him while he slept and while he was at play. He was not permitted to do anything that a servant could, could do for him. He had grown to the age of 10 years. One day he was playing in the yard and noticed that a back gate had been left open. In all his life, he had never been outside of that gate alone. And naturally, that was just the thing he wished to do. During a moment... When the servants were not looking, he dashed out the gate and was run down and killed by an automobile before he reached the middle of the street. He had used his servants' eyes until his own no longer served him as they might have done had he relied, learned to rely upon them. Twenty years ago, the man who I served as a secretary sent his two sons away to school. One of them went to the University of Virginia and the other to a college in New York. Each month, it was part of my task to make out a check of $100 for each of the, these boys. This was their, quote, pin money, quote, to be spent as they wished. How profitably I remember the way I envied those boys as I made out those checks each month. I often wondered why the hand of fate bore me into the world in poverty. I could look ahead and see how these boys would rise to the high stations in life while I remained a humble clerk. In due time, the boys returned home with their, quote, sheepskins. Their father was a wealthy man who owned banks and railroads, coal mines, and other property of great value. Good positions were waiting for the boys in their father's employ. 
but 20 years of time can play cruel tricks on those who have never had to struggle. Perhaps a better way to state this truth would have been that time gives those who had never had to struggle a chance to play cruel tricks on themselves. At any rate, these two boys brought home from school other things besides their sheepskins. They came back with well-developed capacities for strong drink. Capacities which they developed because the $100 each of them received each month made it unnecessary for them to struggle. Theirs is a long and sad story, the details of which will not interest you, but you will be interested in that finis. <clears throat> As this lesson is being written, I have on my desk a copy of a newspaper published in the town where these boys live. Their father has been bankrupted, and his costly mansion, where the boys were born, has been placed on the block for sale. One of the boys died of delirium tremens, and the other one in an insane asylum. Not all rich men's sons turn out so unfortunately, but the fact remains, nevertheless, that inaction leads to atrophy, and this, in turn, leads to loss of ambition and self-confidence. Without these essential qualities, a man will be carried through life on the wings of uncertainty, just as the dry leaf may be carried here and there on the bosom of stray winds. Far from being a disadvantage, struggle is a decided advantage. Because it develops those qualities which would forever lie dormant without it, many a man has found his place in the world because of having been forced to struggle for the existence early in life. Lack of knowledge of the advantages accruing from struggle has prompted many a parent to say, I had to work hard when I was young, but I shall see to it that my children have an easy time. Poor foolish creatures! An easy time usually turns out to be a greater handicap than the average young man or woman can survive. There are worse things in this world than being forced to work in early life. Forced idleness is far worse a labor. Being forced to work and forced to do your best will breed you in temperance and self-control and strength of will and content with a hundred other virtues which the idol will never know. Break, break. I would like to have a quick word from our sponsor. Thank you for your time. Let's get back to the reading. Not only does lack of necessity for struggle lead to weakness of ambition and willpower, but what is more dangerous still is set up in a person's mind a state of lethargy that leads to loss of self-confidence. The person who has quit struggling because effort is no longer necessary is literally applying the principle of auto-suggestion and undermining his own power of self-confidence. Such a person will finally drift into a frame of mind in which he will actually look with more or less contempt upon the person who is forced to carry on. The human mind, if you will pardon repetition, may be likened to an electric battery. It may be a positive or it may be negative. Self-confidence is the quality which the mind is recharged and made positive. Let us apply this line of reasoning to salesmanship and see what part of self-confidence plays in the great field of endeavor. Of one of the greatest salesmen this country has ever seen was once a clerk in a newspaper office. If you will be worth your while to analyze the method to which he gained the, his title as, quote, the world's leading salesman, quote, he was a timid young man with more or less retiring sort of nature. He was one of those who believed in best to slip in by the back door and take a seat at the rear of the stage of life. One evening, 
he heard a lecture on the subject of this lesson, self-confidence. And that lecture so impressed him that he pulled left the lecture hall with a firm determination to pull himself out of the rut in which he had been drifted. He went to the business manager of the paper and asked for a position as a solicitor of advertising and was put to work on a commission basis. Everyone in the office expected to see him fail, as this sort of salesmanship called for the most positive type of sales ability. He went to his room and made out a list of a certain type of merchants on whom he intended to call. One would think he would naturally have made up a list of the names of those whom he believed he could sell with the least effort, but he did nothing of the sort. He placed on this list only the names of the merchants on whom other advertising solicitors had called without making a sale. His list consisted of only 12 names. Before he made a single call, he went out to the city park, took out his list of 12 names, read it over a hundred times, saying to himself as he did so, You will purchase advertising space for me before the end of the month. Quoted. Then he began to make his calls. The first day, he closed sales with three of the 12, quote, impossibilities. During the remainder of the week, he made sales to two others. By the end of the month, he had opened advertising accounts with all but one of the merchants that he had on his list. For the ensuing month, he made no sales. For the reason that he had made no calls except this one obstinate merchant. Every morning when the store opened, he was on hand to interview this merchant. And every morning, the merchant said no. The merchant knew he was not going to buy advertising space. But this young man didn't know it. When the merchant said no, the young man did not hear it. He kept right on coming. On the last day of the month, after being told his this persistent young man no for 30 consecutive days... The merchant said, quote, Look here, young man, you have wasted a whole month trying to sell me. Now, what I would like to do, what I like to know is this. Have you wasted your time? Quote, quote, wasted my time nothing, he retorted. Quoted, I have been going to school and you have been my teacher. Now I know all the arguments that a merchant can bring up for not buying. And besides, that I have been drilling myself in self-confidence, quote. Then the merchant said, quote, I will make a little confession on my own. I, too, have been going to school, and you have been my teacher. You have taught me a lesson in persistence that is worth money to me. And to show you my appreciation, I am going to pay my tuition fee by giving you an order for advertising space, quote. And this was the way in which the Philadelphia North America's best advertising account was brought in. Likewise, it was marked the beginning of a reputation that had made the same young man a millionaire. He succeeded because he deliberately charged his own mind with sufficient self-confidence to make a mind irresistible force. When he sat down to make up that list of 12 names, he did something that 99 people out of 100 would not have done. He selected the names of those whom he believed it would be hard to sell. Because he understood that out of the resistance he would meet within trying to sell them would come the strength and self-confidence. He was one of the very few people who understood that all rivers and sunmen are crooked because of the following the line of least resistance. Hmm. I'm going to digress the author and here break the line of thought for a moment while recording a word of advice to the wives of men. Remember, these lines intended only for the wives and husbands are not expected to read 
that which is here set down. From having analyzed more than 16,000 people, the majority of whom were married men, I have learned something that may be of value to wives. Let me state my thoughts in these words. You have it within your power to send your husband away to his work or business or his profession each day with a feeling of self-confidence that will carry him successfully over the rough spots of the day and bring him home again at night, smiling and happy. One of my acquaintances of former years married a woman who had a set of false teeth. One day, his wife dropped her teeth and broke the plate. The husband picked up the pieces and began examining them. He showed such interest in them that his wife said, quote, You could make a set of teeth like those if you made up your mind to do it. Quoted, this man was a farmer whose ambition had never carried him beyond the bounds of his little farm until his wife made that remark. She walked over and laid her hand on his shoulder encouraged him to try to, his hand at dentistry. She finally coaxed him to make the start, and today he was one of the most prominent and successful dentists in the state of Virginia. I know him well, for he is my father. No one can foretell the possibilities of achievement available to the man whose wife stands at his back and urges him to do bigger and better endeavor. For it is well-known fact that a woman can arouse a man so that he will perform almost superhuman feats. It is your right and your duty to encourage your husband to urge him in a worthy undertakings until he shall have found his place in the world. You can induce him to put forth greater effort than any other person in the world. Make him believe that nothing within reason is beyond his power of achievement, and you will have rendered him a service that will go a long way toward helping him win in the battle of life. One of the most successful men in this line in America gives entire credit for his success to his wife. When they were first married, she wrote a creed, which he signed and placed over his desk. This is a copy of the creed. I believe in myself. I believe in those who work with me. I believe in my employer. I believe in my friends. I believe in my family. I believe that God will lend me everything I need with which to succeed to do my best to earn it through faithful and honest service. I believe in prayer, and I will never close my eyes and sleep without praying for divine guidance to the end, that I will be patient with other people and tolerant with those who do not believe as I do. I believe that success is the result of intelligent effort and not depend upon luck or sharp practices or double-crossing friends, fellow men, or my employer. I believe I will get out of life exactly what I put into it. Therefore, I will be careful to conduct myself toward others as I would want them to act toward me. I will not slander those whom I do not like. I will not slight my work no matter what I see others doing. I will render the best service of which I am capable because I have a pledge myself to succeed in life. I know that success is always the result of conscientious and efficient effort. Finally, I will forgive those who offend me because I realize that I sh shall sometimes offend others and I will need their forgiveness. Signed. The woman wrote this creed, and as a practical psychologist of the first order, with the influence and guidance of such a woman as a helpmate of any man could achieve noteworthy success. Analyze this creed, and you will notice how freely the personal pronoun is used. It starts off with the affirmation of self-confidence, which is perfectly proper. No man could make this creed his own without developing the positive attitude that would attract to him people who would aid him in the struggle for success. This would be a splendid creed for every salesman to adopt. It might not hurt your chances for success if you adopt it. More, mere adoption, however, is not enough. 
You must practice it. Read it over and over until you know it by heart. Then repeat it at least once a day until you have literally transformed it into your mental makeup. Keep a copy of it before you as a daily reminder of your pledge to practice it. By doing so, you will be making efficient use of the principle of auto-suggestion as a means of developing self-confidence. Never mind that anyone may say without your procedure, just remember that it is your business to succeed. And this creed, if mastered and applied, will go a long way towards helping you. Thank you for your time today. I hope you learned as much as I did in this reading. If you ever desire to connect with me, you can email me at kb at keybravo.com. That is kb at keybravo.com. Have a wonderful day and may you be blessed with all the success you endeavor.